Welcome to the Tally Room Podcast. I'm Ben Rowey. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the upcoming Brisbane City Council election, the biggest election due in early 2020. This podcast is time to follow up on the publication of my complete guide to the Brisbane City Council election, which has recently gone up on the site. The guide features profiles of all 26 wards, as well as the Lord Mayoral race, and also features analysis of the key seats and the impact of the redistribution. Each profile is open for comments. So if you're a local or have insights into a particular race, please jump in with your thoughts. My guest today is Alexis Pink. Alexis comes to us from Brisbane Community Radio Station 4ZZZ and is the first reporter working for 4ZZZ out of the State Press Gallery for 15 years. Hello, Alexis. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Brisbane City isn't really like any other local council in Australia. Uh, You know, in most other big capital cities, the metropolitan councils are all quite small. There's numerous councils in Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, Perth, even Hobart has a number of local councils covering the urban area. Um, But Brisbane City was amalgamated into a single council in 1924. And at the time, the city covered the whole Brisbane urban area. And you couldn't say now that the kind of greater urban area is entirely contained within the city, but it's only covered by a small number of very large populous councils. Brisbane City now covers a population of more than 1.1 million residents. No other council comes close. Brisbane City Council elections, there's 26 wards. Each ward elects a single councillor, and they're led by an executive Lord Mayor who's elected at large by the whole city. So the Lord Mayoral election in Brisbane is the biggest election to elect a single person in the country. The City of Brisbane Lord Mayoral election is bigger than any one individual House of Representatives electorate. So these wards in scale, partisanship and electoral system more resemble a state electorate than wards in smaller councils. So Alexis, the Liberal National Party has held the Lord Mayoralty now for 16 years and has held the council majority for 12 years. How, how do you think they're tracking for 2020? So if you asked me sometime at the start of the year, I probably would have told you that the LNP was tracking fine for another term in office. They've been in there for the better part of four terms, but there didn't seem to be very much reason to actually remove them. And if you were to talk to people on the ground, they probably would have agreed with that position. But very recently, this race has been changing. For a start, um, the existing Lord Mayor, um, Lord Mayor Graham Quirk, has gone off to retirement. Apparently, he's off to be a little bit closer to his horses, apparently, which is a bit of a weird thing to say, but he did say that. Um, he's gone off to Racing Queensland, and apparently he's been pushed up into Infrastructure Australia as a board member as well. Um, an interesting time for him to leave, probably just about right. It's two terms in, and that's about the length of most of these Lord Mayor's terms in office. He also used a provision of the Brisbane City um, Council Act that allows him to leave office and choose his successor. And the LNP chose Adrian Trenner, the current Lord Mayor. Well, while we're on that, it's worth mentioning. So there's there's 19 LNP councillors on the council and six of those uh, LNP seats have changed hands in the last few months because my understanding of the rule is for the first three years of the term, if there's a vacancy, you have to hold a by-election. But if a vacancy arises in the last year of the term, the party that previously held that seat can effectively just, just pick a replacement. And so we've seen a whole bunch of these retiring LNP councillors go 
in the last year and be immediately replaced by someone else. In one case, a councillor moved from a, to a different ward, right, that uh, Adrian Schrinner, the new Lord Mayor, his, his ward, which was a very safe ward, has been given over to Ryan Murphy, who previously held a very marginal ward. Um, so that, that does kind of create an interesting dynamic where you're kind of trying to create incumbency for these new councillors rather than just having a transition at the election. Certainly, um, most of the big political parties have been very happy to have this particular rule in place so they can just pick the replacements and give them half a chance to effectively settle themselves in these wards because in councils, like just about anywhere in the country, incumbency is just about as good as it gets for trying to um, retain and maintain your majorities in parliament and in councils as it would be. Um, yeah, the move to um, Doughboy was um, something else. Long-time serving councillors from McDowell, Norm Wyndham, and from uh, Cooperoo, Ian McKenzie, left. Um, they were challenged at their 2016 pre-selections, and usually it's a sort of rule of thumb. If you're challenged for your seat in the LNP once, it's better than average chance you won't survive another challenge, so they tend not to. Julian Simmons, who um, went on to... Um, the federal seat of Ryan and is replaced by James O'Kay. Um, Tracy Davis was the one who picked up McDowell. She was a former minister under Campbell Newman's government in the 2012 sort of period. And um, Fiona Cunningham picks up the one in Cooperoo. So that's like a third of their caucus that effectively has, has changed hands before any election has been held. That is very true, but also very key people associated with the Civic Cabinet have managed to stay on. It's not like the situation we had at the last federal election where quite a few senior ministers from the, let's say, less conservative side of the um, Liberal Party decided to leave. Most of the Civic Cabinet is staying on. So that's another thing that does, again, makes Brisbane City look more like a parliamentary election is that you do have a, a sort of a, a concept of a cabinet where people in that cabinet kind of fulfil their role by, by, being, um, by being the chairperson of a committee for the council, but you effectively have portfolios for senior councillors, which is something you can do when you have, you know, eight, 19 members of a governing, governing coalition running the council as opposed to, you know, a small council you might find in Victoria or New South Wales. Um, so we don't have any polling, I believe. That is true, yep. Which is not surprising. But you think that there's, there's a bit of a sense that with the new Lord Mayor, there's, there's a bit of a, a weakness for the LNP in terms of winning a fifth term. So it looked okay starting off. Um, Adrian Trinidad did what most leaders do when they are presented with their new leadership and have had to deal with a long-term government behind them. He went in and started changing things that were associated with the old guard that were causing people trouble. The Malkutha zip line was probably the highest amongst those particular concerns. Um, the immediate effect of Adrian Sharina coming in was to axe that particular program, which was quite controversial inside wards like Walter Taylor and Paddington, which are under significant threat from the Greens and the Labour Party. There was also um, quite a lot of contention around a few developments, like the one in The Gap, where they've already started to move on the idea of restricting the amount of existing home blocks that could be cut up to be used as townhouses. 
Um, that's a big reaction to that particular one. The LNP currently holds that one. That's also under a little bit of pressure, even though it's never been held by anyone other than the LNP over time. That all looked good, and it looked like it was going to follow a similar pattern to the one that was set by Campbell Newman and Graham Quirk first time round, where Campbell Newman went off to try his hand at some um, state government, which turned out both well and badly for him. And Graham Quirk um, sort of just got on with the job, and he did look like the safe, steady set of hands that most people look for in council elections. However, Schrinner has not looked as stable in his first um, time round as um, Quirk did. There's just a few scandals popping through that are causing him a little bit of grief, some to do with failing IT systems, some of them are to do with the amounts of money paid to people related to the LMP, but they'll certainly cause um, Schrinner some more headaches, especially on top of the extra payments that appear to be going to some councillors specifically for um, promoting themselves for the next election. It's causing a little bit of upset. And this is a long-term concern for Brisbane City Council, but this time it seems to be sticking a little bit more. Certainly the Courier Mail and the Brisbane Times up here have been running those stories a lot more commonly than they did in, say, the 2016 elections. So Labor has also announced a new candidate. I believe there was a bit of a, a change where they replaced their original candidate for Lord Mayor. And I'm not really sure about this, but it seems to me like the candidate they have now, Patrick Condren, uh, is more high profile than maybe the people that they've been running against uh, Newman and Quirk. We're going to have to give Rod Harding a fairly sad send-off at this point. Um, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't particularly great either. He did make quite an impact in in um, Graham Quirk's margin in 2016, but obviously not nearly enough to actually remove him. Um, he has been running fairly seriously over the last three years to try to build up his profile and have another go at it. But very suddenly we started hearing rumours that um, the ALP were looking to replace him. And no, no names were being brought forward at the time, but for the better part of three to four months, Rod Harding was denying that that was even a thing. Certainly, officially, Labor wasn't saying anything until a few months ago when they announced um, Pat Condren. So what's his story? Pat Condren is a Channel 7 journalist, or was a Channel 7 journalist. He was the state political editor for Channel 7 in Brisbane for quite a while. He has a bit more of a patter to him. It's a little bit more matey than, say, Graham Quirk or Adrian Schrinner is. He's quite approachable and likeable on that level, but he is also a little bit on the accident-prone side as well. The first few media outings that he had, regardless of probably some reasonably good media training haven't been exactly what you call hilarious and the LMP has been sort of you know stickering behind the scenes and making fun of Pat's somewhat um, eccentric approach to answering questions about how the council will run under his specific leadership. For example, his first um, interview with the ABC, he was asked a question specifically about whether he could replace the Brisbane Metro project with trams, and he said he had no idea. Maybe not the best thing to say to journalists. They love to talk about um, things like that, and certainly the LMP sort of took him apart for a couple of weeks. But with scandals on both sides, it sort of died out a little bit. 
so what Labor needs to do to win at this election, they uh, need a 9.5% swing to win the Lord Mayoralty. They did get a swing of about 9% last time, so they kind of halved that margin, but that's still a long way to go. It does look a little bit easier for them to win, if not win control of council, at least deprive the LNP of a majority. So my estimates, and this is based on a uniform swing, and of course swings will vary, but it gives you a rough sense of the scale. A 5.6% swing would be enough for the LNP to lose the majority. A 7.5% swing would be enough for Labor and the Greens kind of collectively to have a majority. And 8.9% would probably give Labor a majority in their own right. So so for Labor to win a majority in their own right, it is sort of similar scale to a Lord Mayoral victory, but it does suggest that there's potential for us to end up with a kind of hung council or a Greens balance of power council um, if the... If, uh, if the swing to Labor is a bit smaller than uh, what they would need to win the Lord Mayoralty, which could end up in a situation where Schrinner wins another term as Lord Mayor but doesn't have the same control over council. It could also end up the other way as well, where um, Pat Condren actually ends up winning the Lord Mayoralty but the LNP hold on in the council wards. Um, that's certainly the case when um, Campbell Newman came to power. He was left with a minority LNP council when he started. Um he also manoeuvred that very well over his first four years, um, ending up costing Labor quite a few seats at the next election by effectively playing all problems that um, happened in the Brisbane City Council area on the Labor Council being obstructionist. And that worked and has been the case for, uh, it's been the case that he, they've been able to hold that up for a lot longer than they may reasonably suggest they should be able to do. So if Brisbane City has effectively divided government in that kind of way that you see in America where one party has the mayoralty and another party controls the council, what's the division of power there between the council and the mayor? Like how much power does the mayor have if he does not have the support of the council? So the mayor is actually quite restricted in what they can do if they don't have the support of the um, council chamber, unlike state and federal governments where the leader is always picked from the party that's the majority, that doesn't actually happen at council level, which means there's a decent separation of powers between executive governments, the council's um, executive committee and the mayor and deputy mayor, and the chamber itself, who can just vote down any amendments that the mayor wants to bring through. It also might give um, the majority and opportunity to pass through some new council bylaws that would otherwise not be passed through by a, a by a current mayor, which was definitely the case under that Campbell Newman um, scenario in the early 2000s. That would have been during his first term from 2004 to 2008 when Labor still had majority on the council. There was a redistribution wasn't a particularly dramatic one. There was there had been a redistribution four years ago. I don't know if you know why they did one after four years. I, I wasn't expecting one for another four years, actually. Um, but that redistribution was relatively mild. It didn't have a massive impact. It did flip one ward from being very marginal for the LNP to very marginal for Labor. But overall, it didn't make a big difference. It made things a tiny bit easier for Labor. There was also... Uh, the attempt by the Labor state government to switch the voting system 
for Brisbane, but also for other councils with single member wards to compulsory preferential voting, which would have helped out Labor in Brisbane because One Nation aren't really a factor in Brisbane City, whereas the Greens definitely are. So it would have boosted the preference flows between Labor and the Greens and uh, I reckon would have probably made the task of winning control about 2% easier, um, but that didn't end up um, happening. So uh, that's kind of a, a bit of a, a footnote. I remember when that legislation was being proposed and some of the biggest opponents of it was the Local Government Association of Queensland. Now, technically, very technically, that's supposed to be a nonpartisan group of people, but it seems whenever it comes to things to do with electoral reform, um, they're very closely aligned with whatever the um, opinion of the LNP is at any one specific time. That might be to do with the internal structures of the LDAQ, but they ran very, very hard against those changes when they were coming through. They actually ran a survey where they asked members of the public whether they would like, to, whether they were happy with their current um, council election system. And surprisingly enough, 80% of um, respondents came back and said that they were. But it's not actually a very good question for answering whether um, OPV or CPV is better because it doesn't actually address that at all. It was more a, are you happy with your council sort of um, question. This is sort of a little bit of game playing going on there between the state ALP government and their representatives in the LMP, especially through groups like the Brisbane City Council and the LGAQ, although obviously the LGAQ is technically independent. As for the redistribution, that was a bit of a weird one too. Like, it's expected that every four years the Electoral Commission will consider the um the case for changing the boundaries. So they do a regular review of those um, boundaries and then they have discretion to change them as they see fit, if they feel they need to. And when I was looking at it, I wasn't totally convinced that they should do this, but they went ahead anyway. This might have something to do with the fact that the last set of redistributions were done under the leadership of the former Electoral Commissioner for Queensland, Walter Vanderwerve, but I have a feeling it might be they just took an opportunity to clean up the boundaries as best they could before they probably had to consider moving a seat from the south side to the north side due to population changes, which may have made it more viable sometime around 2023 when the next one would have been actually due. Well, there is this kind of tension going on where the north is growing faster than the south. If you moved one ward from the south to the north, there'd be an even number of wards between the two sides of the river. I mean, they did have the option of drawing a, a ward that crossed the river. It wouldn't have been ideal, but it does happen at state politics levels. But they, in the end, they largely chose to keep the boundaries the, the change is very minor, no kind of big knock-on changes, more just small changes on the edges between different wards. Um, so it doesn't really make that much of a difference to the individual wards. There's no, There's been no wards renamed apart from one super marginal ward. None others have been flipped. Um, so it's not really that big a factor. Yeah, it is this time round. Um, there's only about 0.5 quotas between the north and the south at the moment. It's pretty marginal on whether you would want to move one from um, south to north. But yeah, I think over time, we'll probably be talking about that. And that could have a significant 
effect on a future election, maybe the next one. So the LNP currently holds 19 out of 26 wards on the council. There are five Labor councillors, one Green and one Independent. My redistribution calculations suggest that Doughboy Ward has flipped to become a marginal Labor ward, giving them six wards. Alexis, uh, what races do you think are worth watching at this election? If you're going to have a look at a few, you should probably have a look at the ones that they lost at the last election. Doughboy, for example, which you've already got flipped over on your new margins or margin estimates. Um, but also have a look at Northgate. Northgate was lost at the last election. Um, a long-term councillor um, was having a distinct um, problem with the ALP at the time and they were trying to push him out. He didn't want to go. He finally did go and it created a little bit of a power gap which allowed the current councillor, Adam Allen, to take over. Right now, he's the finance and admin chair of um, the Civic Cabinet and that's a fairly important role in council um, for a first-term councillor. But um, yeah, he's been largely innocuous in terms of the um, effect that he's had on the overall council. He's managed to stay above most scandals. There hasn't been much to talk about when it came to him. Um, his opponent is um, Reg Neal, a public servant from the sort of uh, an electrical trades background. If things are going to happen on the night, I would imagine that we'll see them in Northgate first. It's a very tight margin, and if it's going to go, it's going to go. So I have Northgate as a 1.7% margin, so that's that's the most marginal ward that the LNP hold, according to my calculations. The next two on the list would be Cooparoo and Holden Park, two wards from the inner south. Um, Cooper is held by Fiona Cunningham. She's only just got there after Ian McKenzie um, retired. Um, Matt Campbell is the ALP candidate. He's a public servant from the education department. Um, and also there will be a big Greens factor in that particular seat because it's quite close to the inner, um, inner city where the Greens tend to do a little bit better. And they're running um, Sally Dillon, who is a writer and journalist. Um, Holland Park is quite similar, but is a little further out and stretches a little bit further south. Krista Adams is there. She's the chair of the Public Transport and um, Active Transport Committee. Um, she's been there for quite a while and is pretty much what you call a key part of the cabinet as it is today. The ALP are running Carly Augustin, who was a teacher. Those races are 3.8 and 4.1 on your corrected um, margins respectively and to be honest if Labor has any chance of winning at all they've got to go through those seats but the Greens factor in Cooper could make that a little bit harder for um, for Matt Campbell as you would expect the Greens with a reasonably good following there and a whole lot of new voters that have just come over from the Gabba they might do a little better than you'd otherwise think. Then um, there's two other seats that are sort of seats that Labor has a chance in that I think are particularly worth mentioning, and those are the Gap, which I have as a 4.5% margin, and Inaugura, which is a 5.6% margin. Yeah, so those are interesting seats to see on the sort of swing level. Um, the Gap has never been held by the ALP or anyone else. The LNP has always controlled either the seat that it currently is or the seats that it's been pre um, previously in the past. Um, it was 
held by Geraldine Knapp, a long-term counsellor for quite a long time. She was quite well-liked and quite well-hated as well in her um, um, council ward, but she had a much larger um, margin than the current um, councillor, Steve Toomey. Daniel Bevis is the ALP candidate there. Now, he's a political staffer for Kate Jones, the Minister for Tourism and Minister for Cross River Rail. Daniel Bevis is the son of Ark Bevis, the former member for Brisbane in the federal arena. And he's been sort of groomed to have at least a little bit of a shot at the gap for many times. And I don't know. I My feeling is the gap might hold up, but there are a lot of on-the-ground um, features that might make that a little bit harder, especially around development. The gap is very traditionally anti-development in the same way that certain parts of the Gabba and certain parts of Brisbane are sort of nimbyish sort of tendencies in those electorates. And that could be enough to just overtake that margin. But if you're looking for a seat that might actually change um, hands, Inogra seems to be the more interesting one. Um, Andrew Wines is relatively settled in Inogra. But it is one that has flipped before and is probably more likely than the gap to flip as well. Um, Labour running um, Jonty Bush, she's a crimes victim advocate. She works on some of these state government's um, sentencing boards. If Labour were to gain those five wards that we've just discussed, that would push the LNP down to 13 out of 26 wards, which would mean they would not hold a majority on the council. But the other factor, of course, is Greens wards. So the Greens came in the top two in four wards at the last election, and they won one of those, which was the inner south ward of the Gabba, which is held by Jonathan Sree. Um, there are a couple of others, but I think the one I would I would like to mention before we wrap up is Paddington, which I estimate is held by a 5.8% margin, kind of in a northwest of Brisbane. What, what, what's your take on Paddington? Paddington is completely enclosed by the electorate of Maywar at the state level, which is currently held by um, the Greens' only state MP, Michael Berkman. And... To be honest, the seat is pretty much centred on the um, suburb of Paddington, and it is remarkably Greens-leaning. It's very likely to fall over. At the 2016 election, with very little effort on the ground for the Greens, they came within a whisker of actually winning it, certainly easily overtaking the ALP. And no one was really expecting that at the time. Certainly, they also weren't expecting that um, John O'Shree would win in the Gabba, but this was an even bigger surprise because at the time the Greens were waning a little bit at the state level when it came to the above seat, which wasn't Maywar at the time, it was Mount Kutha. But after the splits and divisions, we find ourselves with a ward that is much more green-leaning than you would otherwise expect. The councillor there, Peter Maddock, is the Community Arts and Lifestyle um, Chair, and he's actually quite well connected to the point where he was one of the candidates to take over from Graham Quirk. However, he was very, very unsuccessful from what I hear inside the party, um, about maybe a few dozen votes short of what he actually needed. And um, he remains in the Civic Cabinet, 
Now, talking about challenges, there is the ALP's um, candidate, Jeff um, Eckler. He's a RACQ person. Um, he was, um, he's involved in traffic management um, for the RACQ. But probably more interesting is Donna Burns, the former emergency nurse and change management consultant who is running for the Greens. Um, Donna's quite an interesting candidate, quite a good contrast to Peter as a general rule and may have all of the credentials that one would be looking for in someone who is both environmental but also quite respectable because unlike, say, um, the Gabba where there's quite a lot of students and share houses and stuff like that, Paddington is very wealthy comparatively and they do, do play a lot more into the respectability politics than you would find in those inner South Brisbane areas. So for those who are maybe not as familiar with the geography of Brisbane, it's a little bit like a Balmain to a new town or a, or kind of a, a, a Pran to a Melbourne kind of contest here. That this is, this is the kind of a little bit more liberal-leaning, wealthier side of the kind of Greens heartland. Yeah, that, that's pretty true. When it comes to Brisbane and trying to understand its electoral map, um, have a look at elevation above sea level. Um, the hills are really wealthy in um, Brisbane. You can, you can pretty much map wealth onto a map around how high the hills are. On each of the hills in Brisbane, you'll find a church. Um, there was a reason for that. The the um, Catholic Church got in early and thought this was the greatest land in Brisbane and they bought it up and they weren't terribly wrong. Those areas are absolutely inundated with mansions and large properties, even today. Um, in the valleys, you'll find working class and industrial areas. So even places that are very, very close together geographically vote very, very differently. For example, um, take... Oh, let's say um, Wavell Heights. Wavell Heights is very, very wealthy, but only a few kilometres north of that, you'll find a place like Zilmere, which is more working class and has a lot more immigrants living in it. And that just changes the profile nearly um, entirely, even though both of those um, districts exist in the same ward. That is a, is a really fascinating topic, and I would very much enjoy coming back to discussing how that geography of Brisbane influences the fact that it seems to have a lot more marginal seats and a lot more volatility in terms of results compared to like the North Shore of Sydney or the Western Suburbs of Sydney, which are much more uh, segregated, you could say. But we will have to leave it there. We have been talking very um, around the Greens prospects. The Greens have been quite out there as far as their predictions. They have their eye on Walter Taylor and Central as well. But my feeling about that is it might be a little bit too ambitious. And that's probably a more of a want rather than an actual target for them. But I still think those contests will be quite interesting to see, mostly because of what you mentioned earlier about optional preferential voting versus compulsory preferential voting. Um, those seats may may be close enough to change hands if the other system was implemented. It's worth mentioning in Paddington Ward that quite a lot of the Labor preferences in Paddington exhausted. They did not go to the Greens. There was only three candidates. And if you increase that rate of preference flows, in this case from Labor to the Greens, that 5.8% margin becomes a lot smaller immediately. Like 
in the end, they probably do need to win over a few LNP voters, but a lot of the a lot of the race is about convincing Labor voters to preference with more discipline. So that's about it for this episode of the Tally Room podcast. Thank you, Alexis, for joining me. A pleasure. Now, Alexis, you do a show on Four Triple Z. Do you want to just tell us about that? My show is called The Pineapple Rebellion, named after a siege of state parliament sometime in the 30s, which was quite interesting for being quite irrelevant. And that's sort of the theme of our show as well. We do serious um, state and local politics um, reporting, but we also try to keep it a little bit light so we can sort of entertain our audiences as well. We're we're on Fridays from 9am on the main channel, 102.1 FM in Brisbane, but you can also find our our recordings for six weeks after they go live on 4ZZZ's website, which is www.4ZZZ.org.au. And we'll include a link in the post for this episode. And also remember, you can check out the full guide to the Brisbane City Council election at the Tally Room now, and we will also link to that. You can find this podcast on your podcast app of choice. If you like the show, please consider rating or reviewing us on iTunes. You can follow The Tally Room on Twitter at The Tally Room or like us on Facebook. Information about this podcast is available at www.tallyroom.com.au and you can email questions or feedback to thetallyroom at gmail.com. Thanks to Krista Bro for writing the music you hear in this episode. Once again, thanks for listening. <laughs>